uh, certainly an unprecedented weekend. And I shouldn't say unprecedented. Chris, you actually did an article about this, about how things like this have happened in northern Nevada. It hasn't happened since the mid-90s, uh, where it was a hot August nights uh, sort of moment. But uh, that, that my recollection of that is that it was more of a fight, not, not what happened over the weekend with this. Uh, Julian Delgadio, uh, Julian, you had to put your news shoes back on. Uh, when you were hired, people may not know, when you were hired by us, uh, uh, we were lucky enough to find you out of, out of, out of the a a talent pool and you, uh, you blew us away with the first interview. We hired you as a photographer and you've worked your way up to, to Anchor now in sports anchor with NSN. So you've had the news sort of a bug before, but uh, I would imagine, buddy, nothing like what happened Saturday night. No, I mean, the, the news side, I mean, that, that I was a photographer, you know, I never covered anything news related. They didn't want to put me behind the lines or anything like that. But uh, yeah, Saturday was certainly something, you know, I, I don't think anybody saw coming, especially here in the biggest little city. But, you know, tensions are obviously very high, not only here, but across the country over, you know, the, the murder of George Floyd. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of look at this as really a modern Rodney King and uh, certainly historic times, to say the least. I mean, from what we saw in downtown Reno, you know, it was a peaceful protest to begin with. And, and that, I want to make that abundantly it clear, was. that it was a very peaceful protest uh, at the beginning of the day. But what transpired after nightfall um, was certainly not that. You know, protesting became rioting, and uh, you had to keep your head on a swivel for that kind of stuff, you know? Uh, Alex, uh, Chris, we'll get to you in a second with your, your piece, and I certainly want your opinions. Alex, this made me mad. I got upset. I was mad. I was emotional because, you know, it's difficult to believe that this was, this was caused by people that care about and live in this city because it was a peaceful protest. People organized. There was a Native American drum circle to start this all off. People gathered at the Believe sign, eventually marched uh, in a couple of different directions. There was some damage at the Reno Police Department. But even people that we've talked to that were part of the group say, there were some people that suddenly flushed into our group that weren't with us at two in the afternoon. Yeah, and that's uh, something I've been I've been trying to kind of read a lot about, and, and it seems like there's still just a lot of murkiness across the country over a lot of these protests going violent, and it's not really the people that are out there peacefully protesting. And, and so I think there's still a lot of information to be gathered, but I think that's definitely something that that really is is disturbing me um, in, in a lot of ways. I, the entire deal. Um, you know, starting with the murder and, and then, you know, protests around the country turning into to violent protests in a lot of places it's been tough to watch. I mean, I mean you, you kind of read about this stuff in history books and you've seen it on movies and you've seen it in TV, but to kind of um, experience it um, somewhat firsthand, I mean, not nearly the level what, like what Julian did, but to, to see it kind of unfold. I think you're right. You know, it, it definitely um, makes you mad. It makes you sad. It makes you, it kind of invokes all sort of emotions. Uh, inside of you. And, and then, you know, yesterday I was really happy to see a lot of people show up at eight o'clock in the morning to clean the city up. And, and so many people and so many people that love about, love this town and love this community showing up to, to put it back together and, and banding together and, and, and showing some unity in this whole thing. I think there are a lot of examples across the country. I think there are a lot of positive videos as well that I'm seeing of, of police officers and demonstrators coming together and taking a knee together and, and, coming together and there are some positive moments that can be focused on as well, but obviously uh, the negative headlines are, are definitely going to dominate and, and um, you know, it's not something I don't think anyone is taking lightly at this point, but I wanted to ask Julian, I mean, you know, reading about it in the paper basically and, and all these reports that, you know, 
uh, a lot of the damage and stuff that was done in, just in Reno particular. I don't know about the rest of the country, and I've heard things that they're very similar, but did, did you kind of see any of that where it was like, okay, you saw maybe one group of people that were part of the peaceful protest and then the other guys that were kind of coming in and, and causing all the mayhem. Did you feel like there was almost like this different group, a different type of people that was doing that? Like, yeah. what did you see? Yeah, totally. I think that was kind of the, the part I was like marveling at in a lot of ways because, you know, I got down there shortly after the city council uh, building was, it was already on fire at that point. They set up a very tiny barricade right there on Virginia and first streets. And, you know, there's a, a large amount of the crowd that was just trying to incite violence. You know, they were throwing rocks, they're throwing water bottles, they're yelling at police officials. And and, uh, and then there's this other half that, you know, there's like children and, and, and older people who, who are just kind of standing there and they're, they're looking and they're watching, they have their phones out and, and they're just kind of like curious about how this entire situation is going to play, play into each other. But I think as the night went on and, and you know, as tear gas and flashbangs started going off, you you started noticing that these uh, rioters were just trying to start a fight. They were trying to start some type of anarchy, you know, whether it be breaking windows on local businesses that had nothing to do with anything going on at the moment. Um, they were trying to, you know, fight each other at times. You know, there were certain people, I remember there was a guy who was on a, one of those uh, cross rocket uh, motorcycles, you know, and he, he was just kind of doing this 360 wheelie, thing and he's just revving his engine and he's pointing right at the police officers and I mean these cops are all in riot gear you know they're, they're not doing anything to to aggravate the scene at all and um and it was just interesting because you know you, you see like all these different things and everything's happening from every angle you know you see police lights 360 people are walking behind you you don't really know what's going on at any given point in time but uh you know it was certainly really overwhelming um and i really feel like this the, the end result of this you know a couple broken windows some graffiti um is best case you know nobody died nobody got shot a, a big panic i had when i was down there was you know we are moments away from someone maybe trying to reach for a police police officer's weapon you know or somebody else opening fire and you don't know where that's coming from because you know you're hearing these these flashbangs, you're hearing people throwing fireworks, you're hearing bangs all over the place. And it's just a, a constant stream of, uh, of chaos. But like I said, nobody got injured, nobody got killed. So I, I think that that really is, uh, is the best case scenario out of this whole thing. Chris, uh, a lot of us can be uh, emotional and kind of fiery when we talk about sports or anything in general. You're usually the calming beacon in the storm when it comes to NSN. Uh, I want to know your thoughts, man, because you grew up in, you're from Gardnerville. You went to school at the University of Nevada. You grew up, you raised your family here. Uh, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, you don't, you don't like to see it. You don't like to see your city being destroyed. Um, I'm more upset about George Floyd dying, honestly, than these protests and these uh, riots. Um, it's just happened too much. Uh, it's black people have been killed at the hands of white people far too often in our society. Um, certainly over the last five or six years since Colin Kaepernick shined some light on some of these issues. Um, it just happens too often. Uh, and that's why I think these protests are happening. If this police officer was arrested Monday, the day that he kneeled on this man's neck for nine minutes, uh, you know, the last three and a half minutes with him unresponsive, then we probably don't see these protests. We probably don't see this violence. But he was able to stay a free man uh, until Friday, until he was arrested. And by that time, I think people were so upset um, that this continues to happen. And there doesn't seem to be any kind of retribution or punishment for an activity like this. Um, you go down to Georgia and these people kill a, a black jogger uh, and they're not arrested for, you know, dozens of days. 
Um, so I understand the anger. Uh, I don't think that we should be uh, putting the riots and the protests into the same bucket because I think it's very different people doing these two things. Yes. Uh, we don't know who's, who caused the damage uh, down in, in downtown Reno. Um, you know, the majority, uh, almost all of the arrests were of locals, but it hasn't been identified that those are the people who did the damage to City Hall, to the police office, um, you know, to Patagonia, to some of the other places downtown, lighting the cars on fire. Um, it's upsetting, but it's the history of our country, right? How, how were we founded? We were founded with the Boston Tea Party, which was a violent revolution. Um, you know, how were free people or black people um, freed from slavery? It was a civil war. It was a violent revolution. You don't want to see violent revolutions. Uh, sometimes that's required to make progress. Uh, and unfortunately, it couldn't be done in a peaceful way. I mean, Colin Kaepernick tried to take the peaceful route. Nobody listened to him. Now we're three, four years down the road. And we're seeing the exact same things because we didn't listen to Colin Kaepernick, because we didn't listen to some of these people. Um, we didn't open our ears to the black community and hear what they had to say. Um, so these things continue to happen and the anger is gonna to continue to mount. And I think you throw in the coronavirus. People have been stuck at home for a long time. They wanna get outside and they wanna express some anger. I mean, our un unemployment in Nevada is above 20%. Maybe some of these people lost their jobs and they don't feel like they have anything left um, you know, to kind of hold them back from, from creating havoc. So yeah, I hate to see my city desecrated. Um, I love to see people going downtown yesterday to help clean up or scrub graffiti uh, off my, uh, you know, and on this one. I, I'm not a black person. I've never walked in a black person's shoes. I don't know what it feels like to be African American. I am very privileged as a white male American. Um, so it's, it's hard for me to identify with some of the anger and the rage that some people who've had to live a different life than I have, uh, have had to feel. Um, but I, I do understand, uh, you know, both sides of this issue, and uh, I wish we could do it peacefully. Um, unfortunately, sometimes peaceful protests do not deliver the kind of change that I think that we need as a country to be able to move forward as, um, you know, one unified uh, group of people who, who all deserve the exact same rights as each other. Julian, did you want to chime in there? You know, just kind of piggybacking off of what Chris just said, you know, it, it, it's, it's very aggravating, especially because what blew my mind is we've all been in quarantine the last three months. You know, we've all been begging for the opportunity to at least just eat in a restaurant in downtown Reno, to go out and have a drink, to go out and appreciate the Truckee River from, you know, Virginia Street and, and from that little pathway. And it, it just absolutely, like, I cannot wrap my head around these, these rioters who just wanted to destroy all this. The, what was it, a day into phase two when everything was really opening, you see people out. I mean, I was out earlier that day just walking around downtown, just a peaceful day. I saw the protests. The protests appear to be very cordial, very peaceful, a lot of chanting and, and things of that nature. But uh, it, it just, I just don't get it. You know, why burn down something you've been lusting after for three months while you've been cooped up inside your apartment or your home? Uh, that, that was just absolutely unacceptable. But also speaking to the police brutality elements of everything, you know, I'm, I'm not African-American, I'm not black, but I am brown and I did grow up in a very, you know, um, I grew up in a hoodie part of LA, you know, and, and I, I, to this day, you know, whenever I see a police officer, if a police officer is behind me when I'm driving, you know, I definitely tense up, you know, I, I have um, seen it firsthand with friends, you know, whether we were playing basketball at a pickup game down or not downtown at, at a public park back in Los Angeles and just being harassed unnecessarily for, for reasons. Um, I don't know how to break that kind of stigma, you know, and I don't know how to, find that that peaceful balance but I, I think that uh, I heard someone say this you know just because there, there are a couple of bad apples doesn't mean the entire organization is bad you know and I think that that could be said in anywhere you know you could have a team that has a guy who's a real jerk you can have police officers who 
are, are great, great people, but you get two or three of them that are terrible and it taints the entire system. That being said, you know, what has gone on with George Floyd, with that murder, that jogger as well, just a couple of weeks before that, you know, is, is beyond unacceptable. And, you know, people are really outraged and, and it, something's, something really has to give because, you know, this is not the American history I think a lot of us want to write. Here on Nevada Sports Net, we're, we're hitting this head on and uh, Chris has been very, very diligent about, about uh, writing articles on this. If you want to learn about the history of, of this in Reno, uh, NevadaSportsNet.com is our website. We're not done talking about this today. Uh, after the break, we're going to talk about uh, Steve Alford, head coach of the University of Nevada men's basketball team. Uh, after his decades and decades of coaching, coming forward and, and making a statement and talking about it. And, and, and how, do we, how do we move forward? How do we get better? As a people, how do we get better as, as America, as a society? We'll be right back here on NSN Daily. Welcome back into NSN Daily. We're continuing talking about uh, social injustice and, and how, how we can get better. I don't want to say move forward yet. That's, I don't think that's right. It's just get better and educate ourselves as, as a people. Uh, Nevada's head basketball coach, Steve Alford, uh, issued a statement talking about how, quote, science institutionalized racism. Chris, um, you know, when you see a coach like this come forward as, as you know, I, I believe that they have, you know, the, the insight to do. Uh, granted, um, Coach Alford is not African-American. He's not black, but has worked with athletes who, um, don't kid yourself, uh, the athletes you see at the highest level are black athletes. They are the top athletes you see. Uh, when, when you saw Coach Alford come out with this. It was not a surprise to me. I saw coaches across the country doing it and it was, it was good to see. Yeah. It almost seems like there's now a coalition, uh, you know, behind this movement, behind the uh, desire to try and fight some of this racism that's been in our country for a long, long time. And it's unfortunate that it had to come because, you know, people had to die and that, you know, we couldn't have tried to do some of these things earlier, but, you know, I thought coach Alford's letter, uh, which was literally handwritten, uh, which he sent us was, was very moving, very powerful, um, and yeah, I mean, these coaches who are largely white, unfortunately, both in men's basketball, women's basketball, and in football, uh, are largely dealing with players who are African American. Um, and I think the more you just have associations with minorities, with women, with people from different areas, uh, you break down those stigmas. And that's why you see so many of these coaches and white athletes coming out because they have relationships with African American people with Hispanic people, with Asian people, and you learn when you have those relationships that we are all the same, that we're all created equally, and that we all should be treated equally. So um, I, it's not a surprise to me that you've seen this rallying from coaches and athletes. I also wrote something on the website today. It, it, to me, it's just four, four years too long. Uh, like, why, why didn't any of this stuff happen when Colin Kaepernick was going through the protest? Why didn't he get that kind of support back then? Because the cause was just as important back then as it is now. It's really welcome to see that this coalition has really been created and that there is uh, more and more support for trying to make changes necessary in the United States. Um, it's just kind of a shame that it did take this long. But I, I guess better uh, late than never. Uh, and specifically with Coach Alford's uh, letter, I think it was very heartfelt. And you could see he's such a man of faith with what he wrote uh, in that letter, which you could you know, read in full on our website. Yeah, Alex, he quoted scripture in there and he thanked uh, athletes that he'd worked with and, and talked about how, how these relationships had, had, had grown. And uh, you can tell it, 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 it really creates pain for, for someone like that, not even in comparison to the black community that is suffering right mm -hmm. now, unjustly right now, 
Uh, but your thoughts on the on the letter by Coach Alford? Yeah, I, I was really um, happy is not the right word, but it was it was something I you know I it's it's what I woke up to on Sunday. I, I got a, a text at eight o'clock in the morning for this letter, um, and and it was I guess refreshing in some ways, you know, to be able to read that and, and get his perspective, like you said, as somebody who's been around for a very long time. And I think I think an important part of this whole thing is is People in power, somebody like Coach Alford, I think it's going to take people in power um, that have influence that aren't just black or brown or whatever. It's going to take kind of across all spectrums of race to come out and talk like this regularly. And, and, and for people like Coach Alford to use his platform and his, his influence to, to speak up and to say, you know what, like this just can't happen anymore. And I think, um, you know, the Colin Kaepernick's can do it and, and the Eric Reeds and those kind of guys. And obviously Colin's thing fell on deaf ears because of the fact that he did it in, in relation to the national anthem. And that turned so many people off because while he was trying to gain light uh, on, on a serious issue and something that is just disgusting in our country, it was felt, it fell on so many deaf ears from so many people because of the fact it had related to the national anthem and not that I could have, come up with a better way to do that. And obviously uh, it did get a lot of people's attention because he chose the national anthem, because that is such a sacred thing, because he chose that route, that did get a lot of people's attention. Um, and, and in a lot of ways uh, it, it did work uh, to, to garner a, a response from people. Um, and, and unfortunately, like Chris said, it wasn't uh, received completely by everybody. There's no question uh, he's been blacklisted. <laughs> from the sport because of, of taking that stance the way that he did uh, in relation to using it with the national anthem. But uh, again, like I said in the beginning, when it comes to someone like coach Alford, you know, it's going to take people like him. It's going to take people that like him that have the power that have uh, the, the, the sphere of influence to speak up and talk about this and help that, you know, it, it influences more people maybe, you know, and, and I think we all have kind of a part that we can do in this whole thing. And, and, uh, certainly someone with his type of exposure coming out and talking about this and being open about it. And the fact it, to me, it's a, a handwritten note. I mean, it, it, it felt very much from the heart. It didn't feel crafted. It didn't feel um, fake or that this was just kind of a PR stunt. It really felt like this is something that was weighing on him. Um, and, and share with other people. So um, again, I'm, I'm really pleased that he, he shared that with us. I, I, like I said, it was, it was, it was um, after all the horrible things that had happened on Saturday night, even waking up Sunday morning, no one woke up Sunday morning feeling good. I mean, everyone had a sick feeling in their stomach on Sunday morning. Um, and, and to read that and, and just be kind of reminded about some things, um, it, it at least helped me a little bit. And, you know, if it helps anyone else, that's great. And, you know, that's what we have to do. We all kind of have to do what we can together to help each other to, help each other heal to help uh, bring, bring change and, and do every little small part that we all can. Nevada women's basketball coach Amanda Levins uh, issued out a, a statement on her Twitter page on, uh, on Saturday uh, reading, quote, I'm not black, but I see and hear you. I'm not black, but I mourn with you. I'm not black, but I will fight for you. I'm not black, but I see injustices that you face. I'm not black, but I share your fear for your children. I'm not black, but I stand with you, end quote. And people may not know, Amanda is the mother to two beautiful African-American boys. She adopted them. They were three and four. They were brothers. We see them at, at practices, and you see them at, at press conferences, big smiles running around the room, and they're absolutely adorable. And 
So coaches are, are stepping up and, and making their voices heard. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's literally the landscape is chasing, changing by the minute. I got a text just now that we're going to include in the show today. So I'm going to go to break. Uh, guys, we'll have much more coming up on NSN Daily right after this. Welcome back into NSN Daily. Uh, literally, as we're taping the show here at Nevada Sportsnet, uh, our, our mobile version of this show, uh, being uh, being reached out to by the Nevada football program, head coach Gene Orvell issuing a statement to us uh, about uh, what happened over the weekend, what happened on Saturday. And, and it sounds like that this was not an easy knee-jerk sort of thing. This wasn't uh, – coaches told me that this wasn't something where he wanted to check a box where it wasn't a knee-jerk or a reactionary sort of statement. He had a meeting with his team this morning, about 45 minutes, and it was an emotional meeting, as, as you would expect it to be, guys. Um, you know, when you talk about the largest program on campus, that's the largest program, and it's also the program that has the most African-American athletes on it is a football team. You've got 100 young student athletes from all over the place and that have all – uh, in one shape or form, I'm sure if you're a black athlete, you've dealt with some sort of, some sort of profiling, some sort of um, racism in, in your life. It's something, unfortunately, that still goes on in our country. But uh, Coach Norvell issued a statement, and part of it right here, uh, he goes, quote, as a member of a university community with the responsibility of educating and leading young men, I must challenge our political leaders, our religious leaders, and all of our people of influence in our community to stand firm against the senseless and cowardly injustice once and for all. He says this for his players, their families, and recruits, and that in the, this community we show the courage to stand firm in the spirit of nonviolence. Uh, Chris, uh, we, I expected something from Jay Norvell, um, but, uh, you know, when you're a man in that position and you have so many young men in your, uh, just under your wings and you are a former professional black athlete it, it, it has to be the weight on your shoulders. Ha it has to be just incredible. I could not ever, ever fathom it. Yeah. I mean, he's a leader of, uh, you know, the university in a lot of ways because he is the most high profile, high profile uh, coach on campus and uh, a very rare African-American head coach at the FBS level. There's less than 10 of them. So, um, you know, it, it's something that it looks like he put a lot of time and thought into. I mean, he even has a couple of anecdotes in there about his mom being told by a high school counselor that she didn't need to take college prep classes because she was black and she wasn't going to college. Uh, about her father picking to go play for Wisconsin because that was one of the few schools in the country uh, that allowed uh, black quarterbacks. So um, it's a very personal uh, note from him, a very uh, personal anecdotes uh, along um, with a lot of anger. I mean, that's kind of what I take out of the letter is that he's he's angry about uh, America being in this situation and progress coming so slowly. So um, yeah, it's a, it's a very touching letter and, and something that um, I'm sure that he felt uh, an obligation to put out there because he does lead so many African-Americans as part of his football team. Uh, uh, and there is an additional responsibility, which he's talked about a lot, that if you're an Afri uh, African-American head coach uh, at the FBS level, um, you're kind of doing your job for others to get the opportunity to lead FBS programs as well, just because they are so few and far between. Um, so, yeah, a very touching letter, and you can read the full thing on our website. Alex, you talk about uh, our relationship with Coach Norvell. Obviously, it's different than a lot of people have. You know, you get to know the man, you get to know the, the father, the husband, and how much he truly does care about on this roster and Chris has done a great job of telling some of them we've had some of these players on our show a young man like Burdale Robbins who's grown up in a in a very very challenging neighborhood and that's a nice way of saying it he he grew up really really tough tough place to grow up and, and be a child be a kid but uh, as a coach you have to be able to kind of 
kind of hone these young men into the future of our society. And, and, and it's, it's an amazing job by he and him and his entire staff. Well, and, and he's got such an interesting perspective on all of this, uh, you know, very different than Coach Alford's perspective. Obviously, we talked about him earlier, and now you talk about Coach Norvell, who, um, you know, has, has seen a lot of this stuff firsthand, and, and it's something he grew up with. Chris mentioned the story about his mom and his dad uh, going on to being uh, an African-American athletic director and all the different challenges that, that came uh, with that at Michigan State. So I, I think, um, you know, like I said before, getting to hear from these people and, and really getting to hear their raw emotion and, and kind of the uncensored version of what they want to say. I, I think that is one, if there's, if there's one silver lining that maybe we can draw from a lot of this stuff is, is that I think this is allowing a lot of people to come out and speak freely and say exactly what they want to say without any fear of retribution from, let's say it's their athletic director from your, their university, from their community. I, I think people feel they can come out and say exactly what they want to say and how they want to say it without, um, you know, uh, feeling like they're going to be punished or minimized. Um, and so if that's part of, of what this can come out of and some of the good that can come out of this, that, that would be, um, you know, a, a big win uh, in, in my mind. Um, but again, like I said with Coach Alford, I really appreciate Coach Norvell coming out and, and giving some of his personal stories and, and showing some of his personal pain and, and letting us inside um, you know, the way that he's feeling. And, and I think that that's very productive. And I think, um, you know, not only helps uh, his players, obviously, hopefully it helps him. It, I think it helps all of us. Um, so the, the more stuff that we can read and see like this and get these stories, I think it, it, it is um, a, a huge part of the process. Coach Jay Norvell wraps up his statement by saying, quote, in closing, I'm an American. I'm an African-American that cares deeply about my country and my community. The images of protest and arrest I see on a nightly basis shows me that the devil is alive and well. And right now he is laughing because of our difference that are differences that are dividing our country. I pray to God and challenge all of us when our feet hit the floor in the morning that we stand firm to violence, racism, and injustice in our lives and in our community wherever it lives. Then and only will we start to see change in our lifetime. Yeah, Chris, I think you hit the nail on the head, man. I mean, and not to use a, a cliche, but there's anger in there. There's anger in there and it is justifiable. There's anger. And, you know, I, I think that's, that's what I saw in Reno. That's what I've seen in Denver and DC and Minneapolis, Los Angeles. Uh, I've seen some people doing some stuff they shouldn't be doing, but I've seen anger and it's all right to be angry. There are people that justifiably should be angry over uh, the, we keep calling it the murder. It is the murder. Yes. Yes. It was a murder. It's exactly what it was. But uh, you know, the violence is not necessary. And, and, and I really hope that, that we, we all learn from that and, and moving forward. But um, I, I think it's okay to be angry, guys. Yeah, for sure. I mean, especially if you've lived it, if you've gone through these things before, I think it's 100% okay to be angry. And I think it's a little bit of a, a shift from Coach Norvell as well. I remember him being asked whether he would be okay with his players like protesting during the national anthem when he first got Nevada's job. And he was against that. He wanted to separate politics and he wanted to separate football and I think this is not a political issue for me this is a civil rights issue this is not something that should be red or, or blue this is something that we should all be fighting together to make sure that it doesn't happen anymore and because it has continued to happen I think that's where the anger comes from and if you have lived through that either with your parents or with your own self I mean this is a guy who's probably done a number of interviews uh, for head coaching jobs and he felt like he was just a box being ticked off because he was an African-American that he was uh, you know we got to go you know uh, interview a minority and then we'll get to our real candidates 
I know he's gone through something like that before. Uh, so I think that there's a lot of anger that, you know, he has built up in him. And sometimes it's hard because you have to channel that. You can't necessarily feel welcome to express that without looking like this angry, violent man, which is a stereotype of African-American males. So, um, you know, I think this is really good that we're able to have this open dialogue, that we're able to talk through some of these issues. And yeah, maybe everybody doesn't agree on some of these things, but you don't fix problems by not talking about them. And I think that's maybe the biggest takeaway from the last week is we're at least having this open dialogue now. And hopefully that dialogue leads to change. Uh, and hopefully some of that anger leads to kind of uh, the things that we need uh, in the future to make sure uh, that things like this uh, that happened to George Floyd don't happen again. Alex? Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, everything that Chris said, I mean, um, the anger, obviously, who am I just to, to tell anyone they can't be angry about the way they're feeling about this? I'm just I'm I'm happy that this is allowing people to come out and say things that they want to say and how they want to say it and not feel censored. Um, and uh, I think you hope that not only this gets talked about and that's where the phase at is if people are talking. A lot of people want to get up and talk, but um, there has to be action too. Like there has to be actual change. There has to be things that actually do change, and it can't just be everyone standing up and, and speaking about it, um, actually seeing things happen is really when it's going to matter. Uh, and, and only time will tell. And, and you just hope that, um, you know, enough people can come together to make meaningful change. And then in the end, um, the anger can, can turn into a more peaceful feeling for people. Uh, and that love can win out and, and uh, hate can, can, can be, um, you know, buried. And, and uh, love and kindness and all those different things are the things that can prevail at the end of the day because that's what, that's what everyone wants. I mean, people don't want to live in fear. People don't want to live in um, discrimination, you know, and that, that's not, uh, I think, what the majority of people strive for. So, you know, if, if uh, we can, if, if this is hopefully the, a breaking point of sorts that gets us to a much better place, you know, that's, uh, that's what I'm kind of hopeful for. And, and um, you know, we'll just have to see how it goes. If you want to read that entire statement by Nevada head football coach Sheer Norvell, you can go to our website. That's nevadasportsnet.com. We'll have much more coming up here on NSN Daily right after this. Welcome back into NSN Daily. The, uh, the GOAT Challenge continues, the greatest of all time when it comes to sports uh, figures in our area, whether it's uh, Northern Nevada, Northern California, just what where we call home uh, this time around. This is, a, this is a saucy one, Chris. Number four, Edgar Jones, who if you're probably 10 years older than I am, I have people tell me that they think he's the greatest player to ever play at Nevada in men's basketball. I disagree. I say Nick Fizikas, but they usually try and tell me that Edgar Jones. I never saw Jones play, but he was phenomenal. Against a 12 seed in Joel Petonio, who now finding great success in the offensive front of the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, I mean, one of only two uh, multiple-time all-Pro uh, Bowl players for Nevada and Wolfpack history. Um, I, Edgar Jones is winning this one right now. I think Edgar's going to probably pull it out. Um, if there was one player I never got to see play for Nevada who I'd love to see, it would either be Marion Motley or Edgar Jones. I think Edgar just because – and they marvel about this guy. I mean, they basically say, like, he was, you know, a mixture of JaVale McGee 
and Nick Fazekas and Kirk Snyder and Luke Babbitt. You know, like literally he could do whatever he wanted to do on a basketball court. And he really was Nevada's first true star. I mean, he was a national recruit who took the program up to a next level kind of thing. I mean, the first NIT birth in program history. So um, I, I do think that there is great love for Edgar Jones as the, uh, you know, the first real true star of Nevada basketball. Yeah, when I think of Edgar Jones, I think of these pictures of him just streaking to the hoop and he's two feet above everybody else. And he's just, I mean, a man on a mission. The guy was an absolutely incredible athlete. But on the other side of it, not only being a great athlete, but Joe Batonio, Alex, as we've had firsthand experience, is just one of the nicest guys we've ever had a chance to interview, meet, contact with, and cover. But then he gets between the lines and he's going to rip your head off. Yeah, this is a tough one. I mean, you think about Edgar Jones and, and up until uh, two years ago when Nick Fazekas had his jersey retired, that was the only jersey you saw hanging uh, in the Raptors at Lawler Event Center. I think that's a very impactful thing for that many years. That was the only jersey, um, and for whatever reason, worthy uh, of, of being um, hung up. And so uh, I think that speaks for itself just on what he was able to do and the impact that he had uh, for Nevada basketball. And then Betonio, a, a second-round pick, um, you know, he's a, a guy that a lot of people looked up to. I mean, you look at somebody like Austin Corbett, who has now gone on and, and was a second round pick of his own and is carving out his own NFL career. I think it was guys like Joel Batonio being there, uh, maybe gave Austin even the confidence knowing that he could do this one day because of guys like Joel, a, a guy that was his teammate when he first got there uh, at Nevada. He, he's definitely kind of that gentle giant, big smile. Uh, always great to see, always great to talk to. And um you know, what a great NFL career he's been able to, to pull off uh, after being at Nevada and, and certainly uh, in recent memory, you know, one of the most longest tenured uh, players in the NFL coming out of the university for sure. Now, Chris, people will pose the debate that Edgar Jones is one of the top players in Nevada basketball history forever. I mean, I'd put him in the top two, top three uh, of all time. But when it comes to Joel Batonio, granted, you're on a football team of 100 players. There's so many other dynamic players that, that will get – the, uh, the attention, and Alex Van Dyke, and Nate Burleson, and Brock Marion, and Marion Motley, and Colin Kaepernick, who I still think is the most you know, electrifying player that has ever played at the University of Nevada. When it comes to offensive linemen, where do you think Batonio ranks all-time at Nevada? Oh, he's number one for me. I mean, there are some really good offensive linemen in Wolfpack history. You got Harvey Dahl. Uh, you have Sharp Pardonish, who was a CFL Offensive Lineman of the Year and then had a really nice NFL career. You have Tony Moore. You have Buster McClure. Um, you know, you have Derek Kennard, who won a Super Bowl with the Cowboys. Uh, but nobody's been better than Joel. Uh, like I said, I mean, he's a two-time All-Pro at the NFL level. Uh, the only other two-time All-Pro in Wolfpack history was Charles Mann on the defensive line. Uh, you know, if he ended his career today, um, yeah, I still think he would be the best offensive lineman that's ever come through Nevada. Not only what he did in the NFL level, but he was also spectacular at the college level. Uh, I do think he could end up being the best uh, player to come out of Nevada in the modern era if he continues on this path. I mean, I think it's going to be hard to touch Marion Motley because he's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He made uh, the All-NFL team that they just released this past year. Uh, he's a, in a different kind of class in terms of how important he was, uh, additionally breaking the color barrier in the NFL. But, um, yeah, Joel was always underrated in college. He actually didn't even make the um, All-Conference team until his senior season for whatever reason, um, but really blossomed that senior year and, and was, was picked really high and has really justified it and was one of the highest-paid uh, offensive linemen in uh, in NFL history when he signed his contract. So um, he, to me, he's the best guy that Nevada's ever had on the union. If you want to uh, make your voice heard and vote, go to uh, Nevada Sportsnet on Twitter at Nevada Sportsnet or check us out on the website. Sorry, kicking the table at NevadaSportsNet.com. This time around, it's four seed Edgar Jones against 12 seed Joel 
Batonio as the GOAT challenge rolls on. Coming up after the break, Major League Baseball, the players have now responded to the owners when it comes to how can we have a Major League season this year? Is it feasible? I've got two guys that are both experts on baseball. So we're going to talk baseball. It's coming up next. Well, this COVID-19 thing just uh, doesn't seem to want to go away anytime soon. But uh, Major League Baseball is still very, very optimistic that they will have a season this year, guys. Uh, just updated today on Monday. Uh, you know, the players you know, initially rejected the league's initial plan. They, they, the players are now counter-proposing, saying they want a plan right now to have a 114-game regular season. 114. That's up from 82 games. Management's offer was that. Now, after three weeks of preseason training, opening day would be on June 30th, regular season ending October 31st. Now, players would increase postseason teams from 10 to 14, and while management proposed an expansion postseason for 2020 only, the players want it this year and next year. Uh, Alex, your initial thoughts on this? Uh, 114 games is, is pretty ambitious. Yeah, I don't, I don't see how that's feasible and, and what you're going to start the playoffs on November 1st. Is that basically what I'm, I'm taking away from that? So we're going we're gonna to play baseball with snow on the ground in, in some of these cities. Uh, we're going to play into December. Uh, I, I, I don't think there's much feasibility to that plan, to be honest with you. Um, I don't know why they would want to try. I, I get it. Like the more games, I guess, equals more money. Um, but when, when they're looking at kind of the, the proration and all this different stuff – I, I'm, I'm pretty concerned about baseball. I mean, I, I just – I'm having a hard time seeing this all work out. It seems like they're really far apart. Um, you know, I think from from a, a, an owner's perspective, this deal doesn't sound terrible because there's more games, maybe some more revenue opportunities. But, I mean, it, it, this is just such a tough one to figure out because then they talk about, okay, the deeper we get into the fall, you start getting into the winter. Is that when COVID is going to be at its most um, – you know, dangerous to come back because it starts getting cold again. Okay, so you're going to get into the playoffs in, in November, and then this game's going to rear its head. It, it's tough. It's tough for me to really kind of um, figure out how this is all going to play out. But this particular plan and the last one that came from the owners, I don't think either of them uh, seem to be working out so far. Yeah, Chris, when I heard 82 games, I thought that was ambitious. But I think over 110 is – that I don't know how you can do it. Well, I think, yeah, the players are probably just trying to maximize as much revenue as they can. So they're looking for more regular season games. They're looking for expanded playoffs the next two years. They even said they do like additional home run derbies or offseason all-star game. So I think that's their thought is, well, let's try and generate as much content as possible so we can have enough revenue to pay some of these players, uh, you know, more than what they would get under the kind of the shorter season version. I think they'll get it figured out from a financial standpoint just because there's a ton of money at stake. Um, and we're, we haven't really gotten to the point where it's like do or die yet. I mean, none of these training camps are even open, open yet. If everything was open and they hadn't figured out the financial part, then I would be a little bit more worried. Um, but it doesn't seem like they're in a great spot. I mean, the NBA and the NHL basically have plans in place to come back, uh, you know, f fairly soon. And MLBs not, doesn't even seem like they're even close in terms of what the owners want to pay the players and what the players believe that they are owed. And I don't think the players ever win in an argument like this. You're never going to get public opinion on your side because people are always going to say, oh, well, they're making millions of dollars and they're just playing a kid's game. Like they should take whatever, uh, you know, the owners are going to give them. So I think they're always in a difficult position. But MLB has a history of the Players Association being very, very strong. So, um, you know, I don't think that the, the players are going to back down as well. Um, but I do think they'll come to some kind of agreement just because there is too much money really at stake to, to not play a season at all, especially because the collective bargaining agreement's up over uh, after 2021. So you could almost have back-to-back -back strikes if something like this were to happen. 
uh, to get back on Alex's point for a second, uh, players, uh, there would be a potential deferral of their salaries in 2020 uh, in the postseason if it is canceled due to a second wave wave of uh, COVID-19 coming back. Uh, there will also be in the union's proposal, a player would receive about 70% of his salary. There would be no additional pay cuts beyond the one that players agreed to in March, and all the players would have the right to opt out, opt out of the season because of coronavirus concerns, meaning if they don't want to play because they don't feel safe, they can get out. And honestly, for me, guys, Alex, I'll talk, we'll get you uh, real quick first on this. Um, sometimes a player's association feels like it, it's, it's an ownership. It's, a, it's an iron fist to some, some players. Uh, giving them the option, if, if, if you didn't feel safe going back to work, them, them saying, go ahead, you can opt out. I, I, I agree with that. I love that. Yeah, I think I think that's a good side of it. I mean, if, if you don't want to put yourself at risk or your family and all those different things and do whatever the different quarantinings they have to do, I think everyone should have the right to choose that. Uh, there's there's no question. But um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm uh, curious to see how this all plays out. Starting a baseball season on June 30th doesn't sound uh, super likely to me. Uh, a 100-plus game season doesn't seem super likely to me. But um, like you said, hopefully we get something. They yeah. get something together and, and figure out a way to play some kind of baseball. Uh, you know, because the country could could use um, they could use some sports just to kind of help me it be a, a something something to, something different, I guess, than the quarantine and 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 COVID and and uh, return some semblance of normalcy to a lot of people's lives. But uh, you know, we'll see how it all plays out. Now, Chris, you're our odds maker at heart. Uh, Thirty seconds. Give me your odds that we see in Major League Baseball season this year. I'll, I'll go. Eh, like five to four. I think there'll be a season now. I know I said like, you know, I didn't think there'd be a season. I think it's more of a health issue than a financial issue. If they can figure out the health, I think they'll, they'll figure out the money. All right. Well, some final thoughts coming up here on NSN Daily right after the break. Busy week coming up here on NSN Daily. Uh, we're going to have uh, Malik Reed, former Nevada linebacker, defensive end now, linebacker with the uh, Denver Broncos is going to join us on the show. John Rainey. Play-by-play voice of Nevada will join us on the show. Uh, Alex, uh, take out Tuesday. Do we have a winner yet? We do. Uh, after our, our big bagel uh, <laughs> dilemma last week, I've gone to Rounds Bakery, which is my favorite uh, bagel place in Reno. Uh, picked up some fresh ones this morning. I did pick up a blueberry bagel uh, for Chris. I, will, I haven't decided if it's going to end up in the trash or in my stomach yet. Uh, with a, that'll be re- remain to be seen. Send it by mail. Just UPS that that thing to South. <laughs> Suddenly, Chris is going out to his mail, and there's a there's a dried up bagel that's 20 days old. <laughs> I want to thank you very much for joining us here on NSN Daily. And uh, if you want to join the conversation, go to uh, at Nevada Sportsnet on Twitter or all of those great stories on NevadaSportsnet.com. For Anthony Resnick leading us behind the scenes, Alex Margulies and Chris Murray. I'm Brian Samudio. Stay safe, everybody. We'll see you next time.